Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you're here today. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Fathers take on many roles, and we honor you today. In this episode, we will hear from Pastor McLaughlin. He preached a message entitled, The Profile of a Godly Man at the 2021 North Texas District Men's Conference, and we hope it touches you today. talk to you today about the profile of a godly man. Judges 17, you don't have to stand, I'm just going to walk through this today. Judges 17, verse 5 and 6, Then are the man Micah had a shrine, and made an ephod and a household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days there was no king, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. The shrine was a house temple. That was the substitute for a tabernacle. Somewhere in the mind, the concept, and the life and heart of Micah, he came to this this faulty conclusion that he did not need the temple anymore, that he could just have house church. And so then, because this thought process was progressive, he needed an ephod. So he got an ephod, and the ephod was a special garment that only priests wore. And this ephod represented the call into ministry. Micah created his own church in his house. And he made a priestly robe, and then he put it on his son, who, by the way, was not a Levite. In Numbers chapter 3 verse 10, anyone who was not from the line of Aaron and his sons or the Levites but attempted to fulfill the role of a priest was put to death. In other words, Micah was endangering his own son and he did not even care that he was endangering his own son by trying to make him fill a role he was never called to fill. He did this with the support of his mother. Irony would have it that this man named Micah, by the way, whose name means who is like Yahweh, should establish an apostate shrine with an unlawful priesthood. How did this occur inside of the home? A passive mother who failed miserably at establishing motherly boundaries. An absent father who abdicated his God-called responsibility to be a dad, a lying, cheating, stealing, coveting son who was narcissistic to the core and his mom blessed him for being narcissistic. We hear nothing of the dad, but we know that he is absent. If not physically, we do know that he was absent spiritually. Micah brought in a hireling priest to be a father and a priest in his house church. So apparently there was a conflicting issue going on inside of the house. So sometimes his son would fulfill the role and other times a man by the name of Jonathan would fulfill this role. 
Apparently, Micah wanted an accommodating preacher in his life that would match his permissive, neglectful home life. In Judges chapter 17, verse 7 through 10, the Bible says, Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite, and he was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then, came, then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find some place to stay. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year. I will give you a suit of clothes and I will provide sustenance for you. So the Levite went in to his house. Micah meets Jonathan, Judges 18.30, a Levite, and two of them build a man-made church built on personal ambition, a lack of integrity, and absolutely no fear of God. Jonathan had no appreciation for his high calling of a Levite. So I would say to the men of North Texas today, each of us should live up to the name that we possess. And in leadership, we should always seek to live at a higher level. Never compromise the house of God. I know you can be fed at home, but don't create a shrine in your home. Get to the house of God. Don't try to anoint someone in your family to be your pastor. You've got a pastor in your life, and you need to establish yourself under the headship of that pastor and the headship of Jesus Christ and support that man of God and not try to compromise and say, you're your own priest. You're not your own priest. You need a man of God in your life. Yes, you're an under priest in that home to lead your family but ultimately you get your wife you get your kiddos uh, if you got to get the dog you get the dog but you get to the house of God you get to the house of God and make sure that you live up to your name so the rhetorical question is this could Micah have avoided all of this yes I perhaps would say and presume that if he had a godly father this could have been avoided I would like to use the word father or term father as an acronym to establish the profile of a godly man. First is a, he is faithful. You can be lost in a wilderness and you can count on a compass to get you out because of the compass's faithful alignment to the earth's magnet field. And by proper alignment, accurate direction is provided. Dads remain faithful to an aligned invisible pull from heaven. Dads don't rely on their own knowledge or intellect, uh, but they have this magnetic field called the Holy Ghost. Uh, they have this sensitivity to an alignment with headship. And when they get in line with their heavenly father, they can provide accurate direction. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of thy ways and he shall direct thy path. Oh, how we need godly dads who are faithful to the house of God, faithful to the word of God, 
faithful to the man of God, faithful to the presence of God, who know how to align themselves so that they can lead their wife and their children to the house of God. So Psalm 119 said, order my steps in thy word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man so I will keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. Faithful dads are not afraid to point north and they lead through a wilderness of confusion. Faithful men live an ordered life. Faithful men refuse to allow sin to take dominion over them and over their jurisdiction. Faithful men are keepers of the word and faithful men remain teachable. Every man has a jurisdiction and in that jurisdiction there is dominion and there is relationship. We relate to one another in unity. We dominate spiritual warfare. We dominate Satan. If we ever allow iniquity to take dominion over us, uh, we will begin to relate to Satan in unity and we will try to dominate one another. That's disorder in the family and that's disorder in the house of God. We don't need disorder in the house of God where we're trying to dominate on one another and serve Satan. We need order in the house of God. We need an alignment in the house of God where we are relating and functioning with one another so that we become image bearers bearing the image of God in relationship with one another but also we know our jurisdiction and we dominate over hell hell you're not coming into my house hell you're not coming across the threshold hell you're not getting my children hell you're not going to bring Hollywood in hell you're not going to bring pornography in hell you're not going to bring the world in I know my jurisdiction and I will stand at the threshold of the door and I will not let Sodom and Gomorrah in the house can we clap our hands and give him praise? We need faithful dads. Accountable. The letter A is for accountable. Accountable men are an open book with nothing to hide. They refuse to be double-minded men who are unstable in all of their ways. They are accountable to God in their giving. And they keep the windows of heaven open for their families. Accountable men avoid secret compartments and isolated thought. Proverbs chapter 18 verses 1 through 3 state, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. Men, if I could challenge you to never isolate yourself, if I could challenge you to never rage against wise judgment, there will be times when you don't necessarily agree with the man of God, but loyalty is more important than agreement. When you cannot agree 100%, you can still be loyal to the house of God and loyal to the man of God as a pastor I understand that I pastor a myriad of thought processes and I don't expect a hundred percent agreement on every stand that I take but if you go to Calvary Pentecostal Church uh, let's walk loyal to one another let's stick by one another's side uh, we don't have to agree a hundred percent on everything but if you're in the house of God get behind the man of God and be loyal 
be loyal. Don't take your issues to social media and try to run the man of God down. Be accountable on social media. Be accountable when you're sitting at lunch. Be accountable when you're nursing a wound. Be accountable when you've been easily offended. Be accountable and be a faithful man because your children will pick up that negative spirit and they will receive a double portion of that negativity. Oh, yeah. Mm. Dad set the atmosphere in the home. Dad set the ambiance in the home. And dad determined the attitude of the home. Be sure that our children are radars. The antennas are up. Your countenance makes a difference. When the man of God is preaching and he's preaching something that is that is ministering to your family and the kiddos know you're in violation in the home and the man of God's preaching they're looking at the man of God and they're looking at you dad they're looking at the man of God and they're looking at you dad they want to see how you respond when that happens come on dad they need to see some tears running down your face come on dad they need to see you in the altar you may not agree with everything but you can walk with loyalty in your spirit be accountable don't isolate yourself and live in this little compartment. A godly man will not dishonor his name and he refuses to bring a reproach on his family. Dads who love their families are not afraid of the hard questions. Dads who love their children are not afraid of the hard questions. So if I may, let me ask you seven questions that all of us need to answer. Number one, have you been with a woman this week in such a way that was inappropriate or could have looked to others like you were using poor judgment? It's accountability. Number two, have you been completely above reproach in all of your financial dealings this week? It's accountability. Number three, have you exposed yourself to any explicit material this week? Be accountable. Number four, have you spent time daily in prayer and the scriptures this week? Be accountable. Number five, have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling this week? As Brother Holly said, we live in a metroplex. We live in rural areas. Wherever we are, we have a mandate to reach the lost. We have a mandate to do the will of God. I know there's disruption, but God of heaven, we've got to accelerate the kingdom of God. And we must have multicultural revival. Do you understand what I'm saying today? We need multicultural revival. We need accountability to the the authority of scripture that says by one blood are we all born of all nations there's only one blood that covers every nationality and oh how we need a multicultural revival have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling this week number six have you taken time off to be with your family this week please gentlemen never learn to use the church and use ministry as a substitute and a solution for your marital issues. Don't let it get cold in the home 
So you say, I got to go up to the church and work 12 hours at the church while your wife begins to resent the ministry and resent the church because you spend more time at the house of God than you do taking care of your family, being with your children. Can I help you right now? You are first a person and you develop your relationship with God. You are second a partner and you deal, you develop your relationship with your spouse. You are third a parent and you, de you develop your relationship with your children. And fourth, I'm a pastor. I develop my relationship with the flock that I lead. Yes, the church is fourth on the list. You don't want me to put the church first. If the church comes before my daily walk with God, God, you will not like me as a pastor. I need to be saturated with the power of the Holy Ghost. If I have marital problems, you don't want me as your pastor because I have no sustaining support from the Most High God when I'm trying to effect pastoral ministry. I need a strong marriage. And you don't want me as your pastor if I am out of sorts with my children. Because how in the world can a man manage the house of God if he cannot manage his own house well? Some of you need to let your pastor loose. Quit trying to project a guilt trip on him and make him answer your every beckon and call. Grow up spiritually so he doesn't have to put a bottle in your mouth. Grow up spiritually so he doesn't have to burp you every day. You've been in the church long enough. You ought to be taking care of some new converts. You've been in the church long enough. You ought to be teaching Bible studies. Let that dad spend time with his wife. Let that dad spend time with his children and not feel guilty about it. Can we clap our hands to the Lord? Have you been inappropriate? Have you been above reproach? Have you exposed yourself to any explicit material? Have you spent time daily in prayer in the scriptures? Have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling? Have you taken time off to be with your family? And number seven, have you just lied to me? <laughs> Accountability. The profile of a godly man is he's faithful and he's accountable. Accountable li men live by the Joseph statement. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It's not first sinning against my wife or sinning against my children or sinning against the church. It's first, I fear God. And how in the world could I ever sin against my God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her. Whatever is trying to vie for your attention day by day, don't even talk to it. Don't even pull up a chair and converse with it. Don't even go into the isolation of your mind and start flirting with that spirit. She'll come after you day by day. And if you crack the door open, if you converse with her in the privacy of your mind, she'll show up tomorrow. And if you talk to her tomorrow, she'll show up the next day. I'm just saying you got to be accountable to God. You got to be accountable to your wife. You got to be accountable to the kiddos. You got to be accountable to the church. Yes, you are accountable to one another and you are your brother's keeper. Godly men are not afraid to name wickedness. They don't relabel sin to make it sound okay. C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled Pilgrim's Regress. 
Not Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim's Regress. It's a book about his conversion and his struggle between naturalism and theism, pantheism and theism. And so an excerpt from the book. Trapped in a mountain called the spirit of the age, the spirit aggressively guards the framework of naturalism. The spirit of the age is seen as chaining this man by a dark, controlling, neurotic stare. He said, my hands were bound and the waiter representing the spirit of the age fed me and I commented on how the milk was so tasty. The spirit sarcastically replied, you call it milk? It's nothing more than the secretion of a cow. What's the difference between a cow's urine and a cow's milk? Astonished and caught off guard, he didn't know how to respond. Moments later, reason came and lifted him high. He then turned and he answered the spirit of the age, You lied. You lied. You don't know what nature has meant for nourishment and what nature has meant for garbage. Godly men refute the spirit of the age and they refuse to feed themselves with garbage. You need to know the difference between what nourishes you and what kills you. Don't take trash into your spirit and say this is nourishing me because you've got some wound issue in your past. You've been offended in your past and because of emotional flooding there's cognitive distortion and because of cognitive distortion there's a lack of discernment and with the lack of discernment you eat off of the garbage of the world and you say this is feeding me and this is nurturing me. No that spirit of the age has lied to us. It is not nurture it is garbage and godly men who are accountable and godly men who are faithful know what to leave outside of the home versus what to bring inside of the home and they refuse to let the spirit of the age define what's nourishing versus what's garbage. The letter T, teacher. The letter T, teacher. Godly men see themselves as 24-7 teachers. There's never a time that dad is not in the classroom teaching they teach a work ethic they teach a work ethic they show them how to work they show them that you work the garden you get fruit they teach their children to respect their mom they don't sit on the back of the pickup truck saying you're old lady dads don't call her the old she's not the old lady she's the queen of the family she's to be elevated and respected the marriage bed is undefiled. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Mm, giving them honor. That word honor is timios. It's the same word that's used for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When it's defining the blood, it said it's precious. It's timios. And so when the Lord, through the writer in Hebrews, is, or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, says that a woman needs honor, she needs timios. It's the same category in the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's how we should look at our spouse. That's the way you should look at your wife. That is your children's mother. And she needs to be elevated, and she needs to be put on the top shelf. She's not the old lady. Hey Amen. She's not just some other girl. She is the queen of the family and she should be respected. And dads have to teach their children to respect them. Come on, dads. Your masculine side is going to draw out the feminine side of your daughter. And that's the way your daughter will know how she is supposed to relate to the masculinity of a man. That's why we can't have feminine men. 
one of the reasons we can't have feminine men. God created the masculinity of a man to draw out the feminine side of a woman so that she knows how to relate effectively in the marriage of her life and she and her husband can become one flesh because the masculinity and the femininity of both identities in the image and creation of God can come together in perfect harmony. Dads teach that kind of stuff in the family. You teach that by the way that you behave. It's not what you're saying, it's your modeling of these things so that it becomes a cyclical power in the family. Let's break some generational curses in this place. Come on, dads. Make up your mind to break those curses. I don't care what kind of family you have come from. God is able to break the curse. H, honorable. In a world that is attempting to feminize men and make wimps out of them. Godly men are not afraid to live distinctly different. They have pure minds. They have pure minds. And they refrain from any habit, attitude, or spirit that would defile the image of God. Honorable men avoid the five steps of progressive sin. I mentioned this to our men Wednesday night. In fact, mentioned this to the whole church Wednesday night, but did not get real man specific. But in Psalm 19, very quickly in Psalm 19, you'll find the five steps of progressive sin that David says, David of all people, he lived by experience and he knew firsthand because he demonstrated a violation of the five progressive steps of sin. Error, secret fault, presumptuous sin, dominion, and great transgression. Notice what happens. He says, he says Lord, keep me from error. Who can understand his errors is what he says. And amazingly in Proverbs, I believe it's either chapter 6 or 7 when it's defining the immoral woman. She says that she looked through the lattice of her window or the lattice work of her house. And she saw a young man void of understanding. David said, who can understand his errors? When you don't understand the first step of just an error, it's not even a sin, it's an error. You didn't mean to do it, but there is a strange woman looking in the, in the community saying, do you even understand? your error because if you can't understand your error I'm going to flatter you with my lips I'm going to make sure that I'm going to pull you in and the Bible said that she found many wounded men come on men you got to make up your mind to not live a wounded life somewhere a wound is going to come to all of us somewhere a hurt is going to come to all of us and if you're nursing that wound the strange woman who recognizes you don't even have a comprehension of what an error can do will walk into your life and she will tantalize you and she will pull you in. She will flatter you with her lips because you don't understand error. And so David said, help me to understand the error because if I don't, it turns into a secret fault. Let me play it out very quickly for you. David is on the balcony. David is looking down. Anytime you start lifting yourself up and elevating yourself and looking down, Bathsheba's right around the corner. We need to keep our feet on the ground right next to the cross. I don't care what kind of position we have. I don't care what kind of title. I don't care what we get to do. We need to keep our feet on the ground. We must keep our feet on the ground. David elevated himself, uh, and he looks down, and he makes a simple error. He makes a simple error. I, I mean... All of us understand what an error is. If you've ever had, a, ever had a glove on your hand, you know what an error is. You know, I mean, you go through the fundamentals of playing ball, and they teach you, alligator, 
alligator, you know, when you're in T-ball, they teach you alligator. You put the glove on your hand, you take the other hand, you do this number so that when the ball's coming, glove on the ground, glove on the ground. Baseball, baseball ready, baseball ready, right here. Baseball ready, you're ready. Right. Why do they do that? So you don't make an error. So you don't make an error when you're on the field, baseball ready. Head on a swivel. Be watching. Be watching. We don't need an error right now. We need to win. We need to win. We need to win. We don't need men making errors right now. We need to win. We need to win. We need to win. We need men who are prayerfully ready. Prayerfully ready with a head on a swivel. Avoiding the error. Let me move quickly. ball goes through your legs and you look up the score is tied ninth inning and you got to turn around and run all the way back to the fence it may only be 20 feet but it feels like it's two miles because you made an error and everybody's watching your error you forget about the cutoff man you're supposed to hit the cutoff man failing to hit the cutoff man two more people get to score hit the cutoff man in your mind you know there's a spot on his chest throw the ball and hit him in the chest but when you're under that intoxication of an error you forget all rationale and you just that's what errors do problem is that when David made an error he committed a secret fault he walked into his apartment he's shaking his head God I didn't mean to make that error God I didn't mean to make that error God I didn't mean to make that error but you know that looked pretty good my Lord, those curveballs. <laughs> it's men's conference. It's men's conference. It's men's conference. That's a mean curveball. Make you look stupid. Make you look real dumb striking out. Secret fault is hitting the rewind button. And hitting play again, slow-mo. Error goes to secret fault. I want that. I want that. So he develops some unholy, unhealthy friendships called yes men. Yes, men. And he calls the yes men in and says, Go get Bathsheba. Go get Bathsheba. Can I preach to the men of North Texas? You don't need a yes man in your life. You need some friends in your life. You need some friends that before it ever becomes an emergency, before it ever has to go to the man of God, you need some men in your life that will point their finger in your face and say, boy, that's a curveball. Boy, you're on the wrong playing field. Boy, I know you made an error, but you better correct your ways in that error stage. Don't you dare hit the rewind button and watch it all over again. Don't don't you dare say I want that and I'm telling you right now don't you dare get her don't you dare go after Bathsheba but David had some yes men that's a problem with men that have power men that have power fall in love and get intoxicated with power and so they'll put yes men around them so that their power is not stripped away from them 
So we get a bunch of yes men to insulate our sin. We get a bunch of yes men to insulate our sin. Don't tell anybody I got Bathsheba in my apartment. All because it all just started with Secret fault. Here's what it said. Gentlemen, listen to me. If I could ever give you a warning, please listen to me right now. The Bible says, I couldn't say this at church the other night, but the Bible says that Bathsheba had just passed the season of her purification. She had just, is this being live streamed? Okay. So you get what I'm saying right now. You get what I'm saying right now. So she was ripe for conception. Of all of the seasons and times in life, it was just that little window that was ripe to birth something that you will not be able to handle in your flesh. Can I tell you, you got to understand your errors. If you don't understand your errors, you will not even understand what's going to be born in that season of temptation that can come into the future and split the kingdom. Split the kingdom. All because... of an error come on men you gotta make up your mind to be accountable you gotta have a teachable spirit you gotta be faithful and you can play out the story of Absalom who created an insurrection because David could not be a godly man so his own son says alright what you did I'll do double he takes a concubine on the rooftop and says, let me just show you how I'm going to steal the kingdom. And all of a sudden, you got all these church problems become one man because one man didn't understand his error. He didn't want to think about it when he was in the apartment with Bathsheba, but the whole church had to go through it. Come on, gentlemen, don't hijack the church because of your error. Don't hijack the kingdom of God because of a secret fault that you have brought into the public arena. And now you have sucker punched the family and sucker punched the church. And the whole church has to act like the elephant is not in the room. And we're trying to figure out the best way around your sin. Come on, men. Come on, men. Be accountable. Be accountable. Be honorable. Be honorable. Honor God. Quickly, presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin is it's easier to get forgiveness than it is permission. So we become cyclical Pentecostals. It starts in youth camps. You backslide until camp, youth camps come around and you pray through at youth camp. And then you backslide when you go back home because that's where the real spiritual battle is fought. And all of a sudden you create these spiritual habits inside of you, the lack of discipline inside of you when you're young kids and teenagers. And then all of a sudden HYC comes along. And then you go to HYC and you pray back through. And, you, and you're doing this number. You're doing this number. The problem is we have moys instead of men. Moys is half man, half boy. They're 50 years old still playing games. They're 50 years old still having a control. They want to be married and enjoy the pleasures of marriage, but they don't want to be honorable and responsible. They don't want to be responsible husbands. We don't need boys, half man, half boy in the church. We need some men to put boy things away. Come on, Paul said, when I was a young man, when I became a man, I put childish things away. We need some men of God who will recognize error secret fault presumptuous sin it's not okay to do what you're thinking about 
doing. And it's not better to get forgiveness than it is permission. No, you do not have permission to do that. Better to obey this and honor this. Honor this. Than to enter presumptuous sin and say, I'll get forgiveness later. Everybody else has. It takes dominion over and you become addicted to it. And then finally, number five, great transgression. You sear your conscience so that you deny you have a problem. The letter E, encourager. Dads find their seat in the bleachers and they cheer their family on. I'm just telling you right now, I'll never forget it. I enjoy, I enjoy baseball. I, I played baseball. I played baseball in college before I got into the church. I, I enjoy it. And, and uh, so my, my wife and I, my wife and I, years ago, before we even had kids, we'd drive through the city of Euless and we'd go to the Euless Park and we'd pull in. I just want to watch the kids play baseball. I want to watch the little boys play baseball. Just enjoy watching little, little boys out there playing ball. And we'd sit there in the bleachers and there was this one little boy. I'll never forget it. This one little boy, he, he, he would come in, he would come in off the field and he would look into the bleachers. And he'd just go. And he'd go back out in the field and he'd come back into the bleachers. Or he'd come back into the dugout and he'd look into the bleachers. And finally his little sis was sitting in the bleachers right next to us. And she said, Bubba, what's wrong? He said, I just keep looking for dad. Where's dad? How come dad's not here? Bunch of other dads in the bleachers. Listen, when we're dads, we get to the bleacher and nothing else takes the place. And when our kids look up in the bleacher, they know there's an encourager on their side. They know daddy's going to be in the grandstand. Son, come on. What I'm trying to say is your kids need you in church, dad. They need you on that pew. They're going to come back from a spiritual battlefield. They're going to look in the house of God and say, my dad was at men's conference. My dad went to church on Sunday. My dad encouraged me when I needed encouragement most. Dad, your voice matters. You matter. Dads find their place in the corner of the ring and they carry a towel it's called the towel of affirmation our children and our spouse get hit hard and they come back to the corner bloodied dads must be that encourager in the corner that wipes off the blood and speaks victory back into them to affirm is synonymous with encouragement according to Webster's New World Dictionary the word affirm comes from the Latin word ad from A, which means to make firm. When you affirm your family, you make firm within them the things that you say to them. You do that often enough and the belief in them solidifies and it becomes stronger than the doubts that they're facing on the outside. In other words, there's got to be more words of affirmation in the house than negativity outside of the house. When they come back in, you need to put something solid in them, Dad. You need to let them know you're a young man of integrity. You need to let them know you are more than a conqueror. You need to let them know you can overcome anything in your life. You need to let them know you're going to get knocked down but just get back up again and you wipe the blood off of their face and you wipe the sweat off of their face and you let them know dad's in your corner. Finally, letter R. Godly dads are reliable. They're reliable. Reliable dads pass the slump test. Slump test. Concrete. 
Concrete that builds foundations, that house people, that provide for the future, must be tested for its consistency. It's the slump test. Can I build with it? Can the future rest on its consistency? Godly dads are consistent. They're not untempered mortar that crumbles and breaks because of temptation and pressure. They simply are there. They stand in the gap and they don't buckle. They are reliable wall builders. When we're building, when we were building our building about five years ago, we had alpha testing that would come behind Marathon. And yes, they lived up to their name, Marathon Builders. Following behind each one of the permits and and each sub was alpha testing to make sure that Marathon did their job correct. One day I pulled up on the job site, the church property, and I saw a guy from alpha testing with his hard hat on, wheelbarrow, and concrete. It's when they were pouring the piers, the piers that went 24 feet down, the piers that the walls would rest on, one wall 35 feet high, 60 tons, just one. The piers and the concrete were very, very important because you were going to establish the walls on it and then that was going to house the people of God and you don't want the walls falling on the people of God so you need strong, consistent concrete. It's invisible to the human eye but if you were to drive down past our building there are 27 piers that go deeply into the ground and they passed the slump test. That's why when that storm blew through I knew these walls aren't going down because what's underneath that passed the slump test. And so I asked the man I said, what are you doing? Because he had this, you remember the old percolators? So I'm dating myself right now. You remember the old percolators? You, know, you could hear that thing percolating. Said, oh, man, I can't wait to get that cup of coffee. Whew, man, I hear that thing going. It was just percolating. He had, he had this little instrument that looked like a percolator. And he had poured the concrete in there, and he had this rod. And he, when I pulled up, he was doing this. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm checking for slump. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, when we come behind the builder or the, the contractor or the, the concrete people, he said, sometimes they can put too much water in it and it becomes inconsistent. And, and so we have to poke it and prod it to see if there's any slump in it. We're checking for the consistency of the concrete. Because if we're going to put our name on it, we need to make sure that it's going to hold to the test of time. And so if we determine or detect any slump in it, they're going to have to start over. Because we need to build your building with consistency. And so God brings you to men's conference to just start poking and prodding on you to see if the men of North Texas will pass the slump test. And I feel in my spirit, you're going to pass the test. We're going to pass the test. And we're going to build the future apostolic church on the shoulders of godly anointed men who are faithful, who are accountable, who have a teachable spirit, who are honorable, who are encouragers, and who are reliable men can we lift our hands and give God praise together right now let's give him praise 
What an incredible message we heard today for our fathers. Again, happy Father's Day. We hope you had a wonderful, blessed day because you guys deserve it. If you want to stay connected with the podcast and the church, do not forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Ulyss or visit our website at calvaryulyss.org. That's calvaryulyss.org and we cannot wait to connect with you there. God bless and have a wonderful week.